Welcome back, guys. This is day three of Elk Week here at the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, and today's topic is how do you close the distance? So I can't tell you how many times I've heard a bull, and I'm not quite sure where he's at, what direction sometimes, what distance sometimes. I know there's an elk there, but how do I close the distance? Do I charge? Do I be aggressive? Do I be patient? Is he coming to me? Do I have to go to him? There's all kinds of variables on closing the distance for shot opportunities. And for me, this is one of the things that still remains very difficult to sometimes judge those situations. So I am super excited to hear from Dan and Corey and Paul and Trent on this topic today. First, Steve, your tactics. What is your go-to? How do you read those situations to understand, are you aggressive? Are you patient? Are you making a move? How do you make a move? What are the things that you look at for closing the distance when you know a bull's there, but you're not quite for sure exactly where he's at. Does he have cows? All those variables. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think the default here is you're always going to be better off, and this is the opposite of normal hunting advice, is, is erring on the side of aggressive. Too cautious, sitting back, hoping that a bull's going to come in, probably is going to shoot you more in the foot more often than being aggressive and getting in there. And the reason you can be aggressive with elk is because you can get away with so much noise. Um, if you, you know, you're trying to be aggressive stalking a mule deer, good luck. Uh, but you can be aggressive. I mean, we, uh, I remember, um, just hunting with born and raised last year when you, you were with us that, that like Cody is like literally tall guy and long arms. We'd be like going after elk and he'd be reaching up in the trees, just breaking branches, making as much noise as possible as we're walking straight in the direction of a bugle. So you can make a lot of noise and get away with a lot and make opportunities for yourself. Um, outside of that kind of bigger picture, you know, you're, you're judging the time of day, what the elk are doing, um, what, you know, just kind of taking everything into account of say they're in a meadow, uh, you're on one side of it, they're on the other side of it. You, they're, you're bugling first thing in the morning and then they go out of the meadow and they're basically going away from you climbing up a hill. Well, clearly they're going to their bed and I think you could just be, you know, aggressive and follow them. Um, but you don't, a, a smart strategy as well would just be to keep kind of dogging them, dogging them, dogging them and wait till they eventually stop and hit their beds. And, and there's so many times this has happened to me, um, or, you know, especially older, you know, five, 10 years ago where I eventually just get, gave up the, the bull didn't answer a couple times. I was, con- you know, I didn't know where they went and you just kind of gave up and well, I'll, let's go somewhere else and try to find another bull. Uh, reality is they're probably just, you know, right there or just moved a little bit further out of earshot. And so just keep kind of going after them, going after them till you get them to pop off. And then if you can catch them at their bed, that's a great time to, to get after them and go, uh, go kill one. So, um, and then, you know, I think for me as well, I've been, I know we did a recent podcast on this. I've been fairly good. If it all gets inside of 50 yards, I find ways to make a shot opportunity. I'm not afraid to move and adjust and, and make a shot opportunity happen. To me, the hard part's been that 50 to a hundred of they, they hold up out there at 75 yards and, and, um, and there's just nothing you can do, right? You don't have terrain to, to move. There's too many eyes things like that. And that, um, I don't know that I think that's I think that just kind of a the topography and, and being smart about how you're, you know, setting up on elk and, and also I think calling in those instances, what you're saying, um, can make a big difference. So practice, practice your calling, just be realistic sounding as possible. 
Um, something I definitely need to work on continually. Um, yeah, I guess that'd be my inside of a, you know, get it from a hundred into, into 50 is I think, um, is calling and also just using, um, and using the terrain and the trees and, and hills and stuff like that. So that the elk are forced to get close to you and, and they, they need to get to 50 yards before they could see where the sound's coming from. Well, let's dive deep. We'll kick things off with Dan Staten as in the previous episode as well. We're going to hear from Corey Jacobson, Paul Medell, and Trent from Born and Raised Outdoors as well. Here's Dan. This topic is probably what will separate the guys who punch a tag and the guys who saw elk but didn't get a shot opportunity. So finding elk, seeing elk, that's probably one of the hardest parts. But you have to be able to close the deal. And you're going to suck if you're brand new to it. You're just going to suck and make mistakes. And even if you're seasoned, you're still going to make some mistakes, but not as many. But here's what uh, your take-home message is today. You are not whitetail hunting. And you are not a predator. If you are making vocalizations and trying to move in on elk, then be loud and be ultra-aggressive because elk are super loud. They weigh three times, four times, five times as much as I do. They're, they're going to break sticks. They're going to make noise. They're loud animals. They're not whitetails. And predators sneak. So cougars, wolves, bears, their padded paws, they try to sneak. If you're making elk sounds, you're not a predator. You are an elk. Act like an elk. Move towards the elk like you're an elk. Obviously, elk want to see you when you're getting in close or they want to smell you. Um, and they will hear you. If they hear you, it's not that big of a deal if they can't smell you and see you, if that makes sense. So sound is not the biggest. I'm not trying to tiptoe around on elk ever. In fact, I'm, I err on the side of being aggressive and loud and not trying to be quiet ever. I also rely on being short. I'm 5'7". I, I can get behind brush a tree, whatever, and kind of keep distance between the elk's eyeballs. Elk's, elk's eyes are on the sides of their face, so they have a pretty wide angle view, and they can see pretty far as well, but they're not antelope. They don't have like 10 power vision, okay? And a lot of times the elk will hang up in areas where they can't see you and they've pinpointed you, they can't smell you, and so they're in a position to where they're like, hey, They'll make a sound that says, hey, come here, show yourself. And if you don't, they're going to lose interest. They're going to, quote, hang up and leave. So you have to find places where you can move in and keep moving in. Even when they instruct you, they instruct you to show yourself, you're like, fine. And you keep coming at them where they can't see you. They're going to move towards you to see. And that's when you are going to be at full draw. So be aggressive. And the only reason I know this is I hunted with two really good buddies last year that they had never killed elk and what ended up happening was I killed a bull in a really bad area and they and I actually packed part of the elk out made it back to base camp and they were like begging me to help me and I was like one I don't want to bring you guys into this spot I don't want you to know it and we're friends but I'm just gonna shoot you straight like I don't want you to even be tempted to going into this spot now that you'll know it and they're like, no, 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 we'll swear we'll never go in there. And I was like, okay, I've been burnt in the past, but all right. And we'll go in, 
we'll call i'll be your caller for like the first couple hours of daylight see if we can get one of you guys a bull and if not we're gonna go grab my elk and we'll get it packed out and what ended up happening was we got set up on a bull pretty quick i put both of them in the flying v if you will and i'm calling in this bull and they are like frozen holding as still as possible in dense brush and this bull walks right around both of them and ends up coming right at to me and i think i had a a nine or ten yard shot on this bull didn't have a bow obviously i just had my pack i was going to pack out meat and i think both of them could have killed this bull if they'd moved at him in the brush and they were just trying to be super quiet super still they just didn't know so we had a really um positive encouragement conversation where guys we are not whitetail hunting like quit like trying to sneak or be quiet or like you could have moved in and got a shot on this bull you know when his head's down or when he's moving you can be moving and if he looks up stop and if he can't see you keep moving at him and um so that's one thing i i think that's a lot of new elk hunters make the mistake that they're whitetail hunting or they have to be quiet and that's that's pretty um hard to like talk about unless you actually go out there and try it and apply it but if you get busted you get busted man like a lot of times a busted group of elk the, the hunt's not over you just have to get them you know stay on them for the rest of the day rebed or whatever and try again and you can keep you know i've had times where i've literally got busted by some cows and the herd splits and then that's actually not a problem because then the bull's going to be bugling trying to get everybody back together and and I can keep tabs on where they're going, and we can reset up and try again. But I think being um, take off the whitetail mode, and you're going to get on elk a lot faster. And here is Corey Jacobson. You know, I think one of the things that separates rifle hunting from archery hunting is when you're rifle hunting and you see the elk. Most of the time, the hunt's over at that point. I mean, that's generally speaking, because you might see them two miles away and have to get in. But I think uh, archery hunting really starts where rifle hunting ends. And that last four or 500 yards of getting in on an elk uh, is the difference maker for archery. And so, you know, it, it used to be we could get an elk to answer us from 500 yards away, and we could drop down and set up there and call the elk in. And I think for the most, I won't say those days are over, but those opportunities are far more limited than they used to be for the reasons we talked about previously, you know, as far as hunting quiet elk, the predators, the hunting pressure, some of those things, I think elk just aren't, they've just adapted to not be as responsive and come running to the calls like maybe they used to. And so for us, I think that, you know, locating an elk is one thing and setting up on an elk is another thing but there has to be a transition in between most times and that can be difficult because where we hunt it's timber you know we we aren't hunting open country where we can glass and say okay the elk are here they're on the move they're heading here here's where we think their bedding area is let's try to cut them off and get there that's that's definitely a tactic if you're hunting terrain that allows for that but where we hunt we're relying on the bugles and we just we hear a bugle from 500 yards away and you know there's a couple of challenges there first off are they 500 yards away how far away are they we don't want to go running in on an elk that's only 200 yards away that sounded like he was a long ways away and end up bumping him 
Uh, we don't want to get into that 300-yard range and set up and think we're close enough and bugle, and the elk is just far enough away that he doesn't have the desire to come in, and we end up you know, bumping him with the bugle, and he feels more comfortable turning and running. So I think it is critical to, to kind of come up with a game plan and a strategy for that you know, closing the distance portion of the, of the hunt. And for us, you know, it's, it's definitely experience helps with being able to determine how far away a, an elk is, but still we struggle with it. You know, there's times that we can't tell if the bull's 300 yards straight down below us in the bottom of a, a little basin, or if he's 900 yards straight across on the hillside, just when you get echoes and stuff going on, it can be really hard. So a lot of that comes down to, you know, just getting to a good vantage point where you can typically, if I can see the the hillside or the spot where the elk's calling from, I can, I can pinpoint fairly close, you know, within a hundred yards. So that, Hey, the bulls on that bench over there, if I can see it, uh, but we don't always have that luxury. So sometimes it's a matter of hiking up the ridge another hundred yards and trying to get uh, a little better visual vantage. Uh, sometimes it's just, you got to make the call and, and do the best you can but I think for me that the first thing I try to do is just pinpoint where the elk is when he's calling. And I'll usually try to get a physical reference, whether it's, you know, a little open hillside, whether it's a great big tall dead snag that I can see from across the canyon that as I get closer, I'm going to be able to kind of keep honed in on that and kind of use it as a beacon as we move in if the elk doesn't keep bugling. And and I think that's probably the key is, you know, we say we we pinpoint this elk. And then we want to move in and get as close as we can before we set up and start calling. And I really think getting close to that elk before calling is the key uh, to calling success. You know, from 400 yards away, trying to call that elk, it's a completely different game when you get inside 150 yards and try to call that elk. So the closer you can get, the, the better it's going to be. And if I have to call on my way in there, I will. But if, I, if there's any way possible, I can slip in close. Uh, without calling, I definitely want that element of surprise. So uh, sometimes we have to just give out a couple of cow calls and let that bull know, hey, there's a cow coming to you and hope that we can still use the element of surprise when we get close and hammer him with a challenge bugle. Uh, but it, it is challenging, especially in that timbered country. So I guess if I had a strategy, it's locate them, pinpoint as best I can, and then get as close as I can uh, without calling, realizing that there's going to be times when I do have to call, but I don't want to engage in that challenge calling sequence until I know I'm within at least probably 200 yards if I can. What are those times you feel like you have to call? Like unwrap what that means of going, yeah, I think I need to throw out some cow calls here. Let them know something's coming. How are you making those decisions? Yeah. So if I'm in big country where there's a huge basin and it's, you know, 800 or a thousand yards across the basin, Basin, and there's a bull bugling somewhere in the basin, I typically can get to a, a vantage point within 100 yards or so of where I am to be able to pinpoint where he is. And I can also sit there and listen for a while and analyze, is the bull on the move? Is he in a bedding area? You know, his first time he bugled, it was down here. Now it sounds like he's up the ridge 200 yards. He's probably following cows up to, up to a bedding area. Or if he's on a north face and there's a bench there and he bugles two or three times from the same area, He's probably bedded there, and, and that helps me determine how aggressive I have to be on the move. It allows me to you know, kind of come up with a game plan and a strategy to get the wind in my favor and move in or realize, hey, he's still on the move. Let's keep paralleling him up this ridge until 
he slows down and we find out where he's bedding or maybe he's coming in and there are times when that happens and he's getting closer we need to set up right here and so i think that's kind of you know helps determine if we're in a, a big basin like that we do have a little bit of a better opportunity to get whether it's a visual uh a visual or just pinpoint by sound what's going on. We can hear better and, and get a clearer uh, either line of sight or earshot to that bull. If I'm hunting in, you know, something that's more rolling hills, you know, still heavily timbered, but you just have a lot of rolling hills and little draws, that can be tough sometimes because they could be 200 yards away on the back of one of those little rollers and sound like they're 600 yards away. And you go 100 yards and bugle and they're right there 80 yards from you. Now they know where you're at. You've You've kind of blown an opportunity to, to really get that element of surprise and to pick the best setup. Uh, or on the flip side, they might be on the top of one of those little rollers and be 600 yards away and sound like they're 200 yards away. So that can be difficult. Uh, where we hunted last year on the coast for Roosevelt elk, incredibly dense, you know, still steep pockets, but those pockets are small. So we're talking a 300-yard pocket of, of heavy timber but if you get a bull to answer in there, you know he's within 300 yards, but sometimes you don't know if he's 70 yards or 270 yards. So it uh, can make it a lot more difficult in those situations to to move forward, knowing that if they're too close, you're going to bump them. And so I think in those cases, it's just important to be a little more patient, to sit there and wait to see if he's coming in uh, rather than be aggressive and push it. You mentioned understanding like maybe okay i feel like they're maybe moving to a bedding area that type of thing it also makes me think of time of day so what are some differences between like say it's mid-morning versus mid-afternoon and understanding how those dynamics might play um into what those elk are doing and how you might respond yeah and honestly that's that's the whole podcast just in itself but i think <laughs> in a in a nutshell you know understanding elk behavior is you know, that elk hunting knowledge is probably the key to elk hunting success and just understanding what elk are doing and probably more important, why they're doing it. And elk are, are simple. You know, they feed, they water, they bed, they rut. And aside from that, there's really not a whole lot they do. And so making sure we don't overcomplicate the process and overcomplicate trying to understand elk. Uh, in a nutshell, elk start the day off, you know, early morning at lower elevations and this is a very generalized nutshell, but they're at lower elevations because the thermals are coming down. So through the night, they're protected. Uh, they feed, they water, they bed down in those lower, you know, meadow type elevations, those parks, the uh, sage flats. The They just typically are going to come down because of thermals and thermals dictate that. And then in the morning, they're going to feed at daylight. They're going to get up and move around. And then they're typically going to travel up a ridge, up a hill to get to their bedding area. And the reason why is the thermals are still coming down. So they've got you know wind in their nose basically as they're moving up the mountain to, to detect any danger. And then, you know, and it really, it's it depends on the train, it depends on the weather, it depends on the area. But I would say generally speaking, sometime between 8.30 and 9.30 in the morning, the sun's coming up, the, the air's warming, the ground's warming. So the thermals are gonna start changing somewhere. Uh, in that transition period there. And that's about the time the elk get to their bedding areas. And again, it's there's a reason for that. It's very specific. They hit the bedding areas about the time that the thermals change. So they can smell any danger that's coming up from behind them 
those areas they bed in, they aren't protected by their nose for anything above them. So they've either got to bed someplace where it's really thick above them so they can hear danger coming down or a place where it's really open so they can lay there and see anything above them. Their nose protects them from any danger coming in below them. Their eyes or ears protect them from any danger that might come in from above them. And so they're, the areas that they bed are specific. The time that they get to that bedding is very purpose. You know, it's on purpose. And then they bed there throughout the day. And then in the afternoon or the evening before that thermal transition takes place, they're getting up, they're milling around, and then they're moving back down the mountain with the thermal still coming up uh, to get down to where they're going to spend the night. And about the time they get to where they're going to spend the night, the thermals change and they can smell any danger that's, that's up the hill from them. And you just think about what thermals are doing. If you've got a, a draw where two hillsides or two ridges come together, all of the thermals from that basin are going to be coming down and meeting at the bottom of that basin. And so that's where they're going to, to spend the night because they're protected from, you know, 270 degrees around them. And all they really have to worry about is directly in that meadow or that opening below them. So they're probably going to spend time in an area where they can see and hear pretty good. And again, be protected uh, in those areas where they can't use their nose to keep them safe. Just laid down some wisdom there, Corey. Dropping it. <laughs> and that wasn't, I've never, uh, I've we were never talking ap- about getting close to elk and, you know, <laughs> understanding what elk are doing, I think is important to help us get close to them. It's important to help us locate them, all of those things. So there's just so I've, many pieces of that puzzle. I've never correlated them moving and bedding and stuff with thermals. But as you were saying that all, oh, I was just like replaying so many scenarios in my head that like, yeah, that's, uh, that's spot on. Huh. Well, and then taking it even a step farther to follow elk up the mountain first thing in the morning when you have perfect thermals coming in your face, that's great, but it's probably one of the hardest times to call in a bull because the cows are moving up the mountain at a pretty steady pace. That bull is there screaming his head off, you know, trying to keep the cows together. But if you're 300 yards back behind him trying to keep up with them, there's a pretty slim chance that bull's going to leave the cows and come down the mountain into your setup, knowing that the cows are going to keep going to bedding area and potentially get picked off by another bull. He's going to bugle and run, you know, and we hear that all the time. Oh, it's a herd bull. He just bugled and ran. Well, yeah, he did because he wanted to keep up with the cows, but eventually those cows are going to stop. And when they stop, if you're there or if you get there sometime shortly thereafter, that bull's not going to bugle and run anymore. He's in a bedding area. The cows are safe. They have no reason to run just because there's a bull bugling 200 yards away. And that can be a prime time to, to slip in to close that distance and, and call that bull in. Awesome. Next up, we have Trent Fisher. Yeah, um, I'm going to throw out some scenarios in this one. This is... This is this is probably one of the more asked questions that we get as far as the bulge about 110 yards away. It bugled his head off and he, he left and he was gone forever. We hear that all of the time and it happens all the time to us as well. And there's no perfect scenario that you're going to say, Oh yeah, if you did this, you just shot him. It just doesn't happen. But closing the distance um, I mentioned earlier in episodes, first off is wind, right? Uh, wind is if they wind you it's over it just that's why we wear axe body spray and try to actually smell as good as we can out there because <laughs> because uh, uh if the elk smell you i don't care what you wear i don't care how many how many layers of uh 
stuff you spray on you, uh, elk pee or whatever, it, it's, it's just going to ha- it's going to go bad for you. So, so, um, there's a few things though, that you can, that you can actually key off of to, to get that shot or to make that encounter work. So the first one that I would say is don't be afraid to let them go. That that's, I think a lot of people, they, they said, well, the bull was walking away from me. He was bugling his head off, but he was walking away from me. Bulls and cows, they have a place they want to go. The lead cow is going to depend on where they're going to bed that day. So he's just going to follow that herd until she beds down. So he's probably not going to come running away from his cows and leave them in order to come and find you and to seek you out. That does happen. Don't get me wrong. That happens all the time. But this is the scenario is why that we kill most of our elk. I would say 80% of our elk from that 10 o'clock till two o'clock right in the middle of the day, because these bulls are they're, they're staying with the herd um, and Rocky Mountain bulls will be more active to bugle usually on their own. So you can hear them. You can, and if you can keep up with them and just stay on them, don't, you know, make sure the wind's right as always, but just stay with them and keep hiking and keep hiking and then throw out those location bugles every hundred yards. So you can still hear him. So you can still hear where he's at. And after a while, he's going to slow down. They're going to bed at some point. The elk are going to bed. And so stay on them. And just because they're walking away from you doesn't mean that, Oh, yep. It's over. They're, they're leaving. You know, they're gone. It's just, they have a place that they want to go. And they're hearing bugles all the time. And all they're doing is communicating, hey, I'm over here. And it's not necessarily, hey, I want to fight you. It's uh, just kind of a location. Hey, I'm here. Okay, I can still hear you there. And that's kind of what they're doing at that time. And as they get closer to that bedding area, then he will get a, a little more aggressive usually. And he knows the cows are going to bed down. He doesn't have to tend to the cows. They're good. He knows where they're at. And then that's when he'll usually or sometimes come out and and give you a look. So um, definitely don't be afraid to go after them at all. The other thing that I wanted to kind of touch on just a little bit, and Mark, we did this last year, that bull uh, in Colorado – it would come in, but it would only come in so far until we you had to get up on his level, if mm-hmm. you remember that. Yeah. And and so elk sometimes they'll especially with topography that that has a steeper hill or some of that nature, it um you they'll look down. If they don't see what they want to see, they're they're probably not just gonna come running down there and just say, Where are you at? Elk are a visual animal. They want to, they, they, they're big animals. They, they want to see something. They want to see color. They want to see another elk. That's why a lot of times you'll get an elk to come into 80 yards and just hang up. It's because he doesn't, his senses are saying, I don't see what is supposed to be there. And so he'll get nervous and, and hang up. So that's where I say, and then and, and on uphill as well, when they, they don't like climbing super steep hills to come find you. So that's why I say, if you can, if the wind allows it, get on his level, come around. And that's what we did last year in Colorado. We came around and got right on that bull's level to where he felt comfortable coming in and he came in side hill. And uh, we didn't get a shot, I don't think, for some reason. But we were, it, it was darn close as far as we, we were within bow range. And um, it just didn't happen. But it, it does help if you get on their level, I would say, too. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those things, going back to that whole idea of being able to see. I've, I've noticed over the years as I've learned lessons that 
I want to see is the hunter. I want to have mm. great shooting lanes. I want to see stuff. I want to see an elk coming ideally from 80 yards away. So I early on tended to try and put myself in those situations, not realizing I was also putting the elk in that situation where he could see 80 yards or he could see a good way and then didn't get a chance to see that. And then as you, as you said, he's going to hang up. Like if, if he has the visibility to see and he's not seeing what he wants to see, he's going to stop. So it's almost like using cover, forcing my approach to be through more cover, which isn't as ideal for shooting opportunities, but is more ideal for actually closing the distance on elk, preventing him from hanging up. That became something I started to pay attention to. So that's a really good point. And that's where, too, and we don't use them enough, I don't think. We have kind of dabbled with them the last couple of years. But that's where a decoy can sometimes, I, I think, really dupe that uh, that elk's mind into going, okay, I can see a color. And I, and sometimes I think with that decoy, putting it in brush, you know, to where he has to look and go, okay, that's the right color of, you know, not just throw it right out in the middle of a wide clearing or, you know what I mean? Something like that. Like make him, make him look for it, make him, you know, his brain go, okay, that that's a realistic, you know, spot for an elk to be. Um, I, I, I think, I think decoys are definitely something that we need to probably utilize more. Can you just touch a little bit more on closing the distance on when to call and when to not call and just focus on closing the distance. So, you know, there's certain times where it, we just get stuck on, do I call now? Do I try and re- relocate? Do I be patient? What What are those decisions that you make is, you know, you hear a bull up in this draw. Am I just covering ground? Do I cover ground for a little bit and then try and pinpoint him again with a locator bugle? How do you make those decisions? Yeah. So, so what we're trying to do is, um, we're trying to get in close to them within everybody calls it that hundred yard, that hundred yard magic spot. Um, it's not necessarily true. I had a bull last year, the bull I actually shot last year uh, in Wyoming, the elk were kind of a little skittish. I would say, I'd say every single time we'd get close to them and we'd have to be really in tight on them to make them do what we wanted or else they would just stand there and bugle and bugle and bugle and wouldn't come towards you. So we snuck, we could hear this bull bugling and the best scenario, honestly, sometimes is to be quiet and let them, if you can get him to sound off on his own and do his thing all by himself without, without tempting him with a bugle and making him, you know, know exact your exact location. If, if he'll just sound off on his own, that's the best case scenario. Cause then you can really plan your setup a lot easier. You can say, okay, he's there and he's moving this direction. And this is also where your maps, your Onyx maps comes in handy because you can look on your maps and go, that is a pretty good idea that they will bid on that little flat right there or, or whatever with topography, you know? And so, let him do his own thing. Sometimes you don't have to be the big aggressive guy running through the woods and blowing bugles and beating on limbs and stuff. A lot of times you can let them do their own thing and get in, get everything right. And last year in Wyoming, we snuck. I mean, we literally like we're doing and which we don't ever hardly do. You know, we were tiptoeing through the woods and got as close as we could and and just as from what we where we thought the bull was with him just bugling on his own and i actually got within 80 yards of him in a pretty open timber 
and he was just over the ridge when we decided, okay, let's try from here. And he got up out of his bed, walked right over the ridge, right at us. So it, it worked out great that time. But yeah, you don't always have to be, you know, super quick and make fast decisions and, you know, fast and loud, we call it. You don't have to just do all that all the time. Um, definitely slow down and be methodical about it, especially when a bull is, is sounding off quite a bit and giving away his location. That's when it, the chess game comes out and you start to break down every single move that you make and, and to make every single move count. And now we'll hear from Paul, the Oaknut Medell. Yeah, whether you're a new hunter or a veteran hunter, this is where most people fail right there. That's where they fail. Even the guys on YouTube, go watch all their shows and watch how many elk that they have no idea what to do with. And I'm not bashing anybody. This is, you know, they put it out for public viewing. And, 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 and you can probably watch for two hours and see over 20 bulls that gave that exact scenario in – their answer or response is, well, that bull doesn't want to play today. He's, he's, he's just not aggressive. He's not, he, he, he isn't going to cooperate. And so they move off. And that's the bull that most people right there come in contact with year after year after year, whether you're a brand new hunter or whether you've been hunting for years. But that's a very killable bull right there. It, and it takes a strategy to understand how you can be effective with him. So you have a bull 400 yards, 500, whatever, like you say. If that bull's bugling repeatedly – it makes your job a little easier, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, who 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 would argue with that? I mean, when he's just bubbling over and over and over, he's obviously and nothing's answering him. That shows you he is advertising himself. That's what the bull's doing. He's not looking for a fight. He's not challenging. Nothing's answering him. He's just advertising himself and his location, trying to draw cows to him. That's exactly how they build their harems. It's one of the big ways they build their harems. So, but let's say you only have that bull giving one sound. Maybe he gave two sounds, and he's that distance that you mentioned. How do you, what do you do with that bull? You've thrown everything at him. He won't say anything. And you don't know exactly where he is because you heard him. But man, he's like over here, but I cannot tell if he was, you know, exactly. So how close can you get to him before you're, you're too close or you get busted? Because he won't say anything. That is where you go in there and use the slow play. So on that bull, do I call my way to him? Do I make another bugle or two as I approach him? No, nothing, zero. I, where I first heard him now, if he answered me, Wonderful. I may wait there a little bit because, like you said, I'm not sure where he is. I'll wait right there because I, I didn't know. I don't know where to go. I know he was above me, but I don't know where. So I'll try to get him to respond back from that same spot. That lets him know that I'm not pressuring him. I'm right where he, where he heard me the first time, and he's still where he is. If he answers me, I can now say, okay, I already, I'm waiting for it, and now I get a direction. But if that's it, no other bulls are answering. And in most cases, if he answers one more time, you're lucky. Most of the time, they don't say anything. They're done in that stage. That's the bull that I'm trying to get within a couple hundred yards. I won't say anything. I'll get up there, and I will not talk to that bull. That's where I'm going to, I'm going to use the slow play sequence. That's the slow play breeding sequence, which is the most deadly sequence that I've ever come up with. I mean, it's just absolutely phenomenal how well it works on a bull in, in, you know, in, in that state of mind. So I'm just trying to get up to that bull, Mark, trying to get within a couple of hundred yards. And then I am going to play on his instinct to breathe, even though he could care less about it right now. 
or else he, he, you know, he's not around a hot cow. There's no hot cow present with him. There's no other bulls bugling, multiple bulls bugling, which would make it competition showing there's a hot cow. So there's nothing like that in that area. So if I'm like September 6th or so and on, I am now going to use a slow play instead of all the rattling and all this stuff. I mean, I could use it, but the slow play is what usually gets it done from then on. I will now show him that I have a hot cow at my presence without ever talking to him. And that right there is how I will pull that bull in. I'm not going to go through the whole sequence here. But the point is, is by using that, and it happens to be on the app. It came out two days ago in extremely detailed form of how to use a slow play and when to use it and what bulls to use it on and what bulls not to use it on. So I thought I'd just throw that out there because there's a lot of good info on it. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about the slow play a bit in a previous episode, which we can uh get guys back to but as you mentioned just to reiterate not necessarily what sound is the slow play and how does that mm-hmm. sequence pan out what you go to in the app but like at a high level again what you're telling that bull is this bull as you mentioned probably doesn't have a hot cow with him he's he's not responding there's no problem about it he does yeah. not have one <laughs> right so he's he's not having one he's maybe not interested so what you're trying to do with the slow play and feel free to correct me i'm trying to clarify is both sound like a bull and a cow together to create that interest of a bull that's fired up over a cow that's in his presence, which is then going to interest this other bull to come check that out. Is that correct? Like from a super high level? Um, eh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> a, that's, it's a, that's a fine line right there. And you know, that's what makes the slow play so effective is, is, is you have to know, what the ingredients are to the recipe so the dish comes out right. Because you have a recipe and you have all the ingredients, and if you just ball them all in there and mix it up, a lot of times that's not your best way to do it. It, you know, it, it is the right ingredients, but you have to do it proportionally correct. And, and, and a lot of meals are that way. This is how this is. You know, when you're going to use uh, glunks and raking and pants and, 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 and displaying for this cow – you have to do it like a real elk would do it. You don't just throw it all into the bowl and just go nuts with all those sounds thinking, well, I'm doing the slow play because you're not. You have to know. So when I'm starting the slow play, and I, and, and I, yes, I have talked about it, but I have never really ever talked about it in detail. You may think it's detail, but it really isn't. <laughs> and, and well, because, you know, there, if there's a fine line there, when I walk up there and I get to that 200 yards and I'm going, I know I heard that bull up here and I'm roughly guessing at 200. I know I heard him. He was right here. Now, first thing I'm going to do when I get up there is I'm going to go through two or three cow sounds. I, I'm not even talking to him. I'm just going to make my just meow, meow, that's about it. Real low. I know he heard me. Do you think he's going to get up and come running over to me? No. He could care less about me. He's probably not very far from cows as it is. He doesn't even care. There's nothing running. There's no, there's no hot cows. And he knows it. And so here I am down there. I planted to see that there's a cow there. Big deal. So now I wait several minutes. I do it again. So now I've got like five or six minutes go by after my very first sound. And I'm still sitting there. I'm a set-up spot where I, if he starts coming to me, he... He has to come into range of my bow before he'll ever see where that calling is coming from. So it's a tight setup, but yet I have shooting lanes. But he has to come that close. He's not going to see me at 75 yards or see where the calls are coming from and then hang up. No, I take that away from him. So my setup strategy is equally as important as my calling. So now I'm sitting there, and now is when I introduce the bull. 
Now what I do is I pull a bull into the equation and have him start raking. He doesn't make any sounds at this time. He's just starting to rake, rake, snap, and rake, rake. This now shows the bull that I know is up there somewhere. There's a cow here, and a bull has now entered the scene, and he's now displaying for this cow. So you see, I'm getting his attention, and I can just almost see it, you know, the things going through his mind. I'm getting the wheels to spin. And this is how I view it, but I've called a lot of elk in like this, so I kind of play it in my own mind what I think they're thinking. And as I'm going through the sequence, I am now starting to really get a little bit more aggressive with the ground, you know, really rustling things. And now I'm going to go ahead and start panting, and that's one of the things I do. I'll go through the pants and the urns and those little glunks and those little... You know, like I'm just doing it with my mouth. But see, I start playing it up and I show his emotion, his excitement for his newfound treasure. And when I start glunking, I start getting more excited and I'm panting and I'm raking. This shows that I have a hot cow present. They don't do that outside of that. Nothing. They don't show any of those mannerisms. And so as I start going through that and I'm going again through all that yearning and courting her like that, this starts getting the bull aroused. This arouses him and showing I have a cow coming into estrus right there. And I just start ramping it up and it seems like right in that vicinity. And then I just hit those cow sounds again. It's kind of a, ah, ah. and when I do, it seems like the bull hits me on around that third. I mean, 10 minutes into this thing. That's when he usually hits me right there. Somewhere in that vicinity, he hardly ever will he answer the bull sound at first. Nothing. It's when I see now I've got him excited already. He's thinking there's a cow in here. When I hit him with that cow sound, that is when I usually hear him give that little short roundup bugle. It's like this right here. And he'll just give that short bugle. It's not a challenge. It's nothing like that. But he's trying to call the cow. And as soon as he does that, I usually come over him with just more of a as the bull. Tell him to stay back. That is all I give him. None of this big challenge three note, blah, 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 because I'll probably run him off. He's not at that level yet. He's just interested in the cow. And as soon as I do that, I start going back to my sequence just for a short time now, 30 seconds, and I hit the cow call again. This time I'm trying to call the bull over to me. So now I'm giving him the. need a drink of water but you notice how it's not the social that's just social the other ones are asking the bull to come over to me and when i do that he usually just ignites him i mean he just hammers it instantly because i'm inviting him over as the cow and that's when i come over with more emotion with the bull sound and from there i usually go straight to the contact buzz which is telling that bull to come over there right now it's more of an urgent or demanding sound and as i continue to go through this sequence this bull is lighting it up and i mean this happens like bull after bull after bull after bull it all falls into the into that stream and as soon as i get him excited I can now cut him off with some major stuff. So once I get him active in about 10, let's say 10, 12, 13 minutes into it, I, within two minutes, he's right there on you. So this doesn't carry on, 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 on. Once you get him involved, and I was never talking to him to begin with, I started talking with him once he started injecting his sound to me. You see, at no time was I ever trying to reach out to him, not at all. And that is what really puts the hammer down on him. And I mean, they're leaving their cows. Most of the time, we're calling bulls that have cows, and they pull, pulls them right down from the cows. And I mean, 
it's just they come right on top of you. It's just like when my son shot one the one last year. He shot him at five yards in a very similar sequence. And when I called the one in for the vet, you know, it, it wasn't so much the slow play. I had to go in further into it because the bull got riled up really quick. But, you know, it's just time and time again, you play that sequence out. It's called the slow play. And what it does is it arouses their 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 intent they want to breed is what they want to do so i'm arousing that testosterone level i'm raising it up i'm getting them excited just like a guy can get excited over a girl you know and he shows those different functions happening to him this is what i'm doing with the bull i'm trying to show him i have a hot cow present he needs to come and scent checker it's just all there is to it and so by going through that it's just a it's a dynamite sequence to go through when you have elk that hardly want to talk and especially once you get to the sixth and on, and maybe you get that one bugle, and I'm telling you, that bull right there is in trouble. You put the time in right there in that 10 to 20 minutes, call it, and you will have that bull sucked in. Most guys think they leave, and I think that's one of their biggest mistakes. They call two or three or four times, wait 10 minutes, nothing happens, he never says anything, and they think the bull took off. They think he completely left the area. That bull isn't gone anywhere. He sits right there. He has not gone nowhere. So good, Paul. That's uh, definitely something, as you mentioned in the app, you lay that out. I think the most helpful thing about the app for me as I've used it in the past is just being able to go to it anytime and then also being able to like practice along with it is so helpful. Well, good deal. Yeah, that's what that's what was uh, intent was. So so folks can, you know, call right next to a real elk and, and hear themselves side by side with it. I mean, you should, you have no idea how many emails and phone calls I get where guys are saying, you know, that it's really helped them. Even people that have been hunting for years, it just helps them to, you know, polish things up. Well, as usual, guys, hope that you learned something in this one. It's such an important topic. Hopefully you took something out of this that you can put to use in the coming days, weeks, and months. Be sure to tune back in tomorrow. We talk about making the most of opportunities. If you do close the distance, you have an opportunity. What should you do? What shouldn't you do? How do you capitalize and actually fill your tech? Join us for that tomorrow.